0: And by Schuert & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From Café Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett.
2: It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Things are changing around here. A few years ago you would never hear the words entrepreneur and Acadiana in the same sentence. And then we started to see what's known as an entrepreneurial ecosystem grow up here. That's where people start up new businesses based on all kinds of outlandish ideas far removed from our usual oil and gas economy. To help these businesses succeed, there are business incubators, business accelerators, angel investors, and even some access to venture capital to grow these businesses. Because this is how household name tech businesses were born and grew up in Silicon Valley, people around here started saying, if this entrepreneurial ecosystem is so great, shouldn't we have our own success story like Google or Facebook? Well, guess what? As of 2018, we do. It is called Waiter. Waiter is a food delivery app that connects hungry people to restaurants. You place an order on your Waiter app, Waiter's proprietary technology sends your order to a restaurant and in the real world Waiter sends a driver to pick up your order and deliver it to you. In case you're thinking this is far too simple of a concept to be as big as Facebook, Waiter sold to the owner of Houston Rockets and Landry's restaurants for $308 million and it's barely started growing chris Moe founded waiter in lake charles in 2015. as part of the company's sale chris is going to stay on as ceo and when waiter goes public later this year chris will be chairman of the board chris this sensational overnight success that's taken you 23 years of hard work in the tech sector to achieve congratulations and welcome back to out to lunch
1: thank you eileen
2: Chris, where you've taken Waiter is an incredible achievement. And now you're stepping into a whole new world. A world that many aspire to, but few get to enter. You're going to be running a public company. There's going to be a board of directors and investors with expectations that you'll perform to a set of targets. You'll get compared to every other tech success story from Facebook down. This meteoric success is inevitably going to change your life. Do you have a strategy for coping with meteoric success? For starters, are you going to be able to stay living here in Acadiana?
1: Uh, Well, for starters, yes. We're going to keep the company here in Louisiana. Uh, We were born here. We're going to stay here. Um, I'm going to continue to be chairman of the board and CEO of the company. Our management team is going to stay in place and so uh, really it's business as usual for us. So it doesn't really change anything that we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, and as far as the success, you know, I, I tell our team this all the time. I don't look at it as, you know, we've ha- you know we're successful yet. We, we've had some success, yes. And, and I know that certainly people on the outside, uh, especially when you make an announcement like we did with the, uh, the deal with Tillman. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, the company is successful, and we are. I mean, we've had a lot of success, but we have a lot left to do. Uh, this is just the beginning for us and you know we we've moved ourselves from being a startup company to now uh, what I like to call company building and now that we've built you know, went through the company building phase for a year or so now we're gonna be a public company and it's a very different type of company than a private company. Is the skill so, set
2: that you need personally f- to run a startup different to the one that you need now to run a public company?
1: In some ways yes very different um, just because you know I'm, right now, I answer. I answer to shareholders, but they're private shareholders. Uh, as a public very company, very happy private shareholders. Happy, happy private shareholders, and we hope to have happy public shareholders as well. But uh, of course, you know, there's reporting requirements. There are specific things you can and can't do as a public company that you don't have those constraints as a private company. So it's going to be different. Uh, but we're ready for it.
2: Let's go back to the beginnings because everybody likes your story now. Originally, at one time, you were called Mose to Go and then Fugle, which is food <laughs> and Google combined. Tell me how you got to the name Waiter and how it all started. Yeah,
1: so not not exactly like that. But I did have a company called Moe's to Go where you ordered on the Internet. We cooked the food and then delivered it to you. And it was a concept that I was testing and trying out. And this was... In uh, in the mid 2000s, you know, 2008, 2009, I think, um, and so that was kind of the foray to what is now Waiter. I mean, that's where the idea started. Uh, then, when I went to Startup Weekend in Gainesville, Florida, in October of 2013, which is where we actually founded Waiter, uh, I had intended to pitch the idea and call it Fugal. uh... get the food you want delivered to your door, but. Uh, it ended up being waiter and we ended up winning that startup weekend competition. So
2: at that weekend, somebody else actually pitched a very similar idea?
1: Well someone else actually pitched the idea for a dine-in, so it was you sit down at a restaurant, you order on your phone, uh, when you're done you pay for your food, so, um, so I joined that person's team and that's what became waiter. And Is it th-
2: that flexibility that's made you as successful as you are today?
1: Uh, yeah, well I think it's any, any entrepreneur has to be able to move pretty quickly, right? And so, uh, we started out in the dine-in space, we realized really quickly that there was a lot of friction in that process, you know, servers would have to educate consumers, consumers wouldn't know what waiter was, servers didn't want to educate consumers because they felt it a threat to their job, those kind of things. And so we had to pivot and, and delivery and carry out was always part of the plan, but it was going to come later, so we pivoted to do delivery and carry out first. Uh, which just so happened that that was really the pivot we needed to make.
2: And right now you're in how many cities?
1: Uh, we operate in over 250 cities in 11 states. Wow. Yeah. All started right here in South Louisiana.
2: And what's your growth plan? Do you, what's, do you have a plan, do you have kind of a target on your board to where you're going to grow next?
1: Yeah, so we, we've identified uh, over 80 markets just in the southeastern part of the US that we can grow in. We're in 34 of those 80 markets today, which make up that 250 cities. Uh, Those 80 markets make up uh, probably 1,500 plus cities uh, in the southeast. So we'll continue to expand there. But we also, as a public company now, we'll have access to capital that we didn't have access to before. And we'll be able to expand into cities beyond just that 11-state southeastern area so we'll look at the Midwest, look at going further up the East Coast, uh, moving out into the West Coast, Uh, not so much the West Coast but moving out west. So is international
2: domination the actual uh, aim? Well
1: certainly national to start. Uh, We don't have any uh, international aspirations as of yet.
2: Your company, do you think of it as a technology company, a food company or a service company? Uh,
1: So we're a technology company first um, because everything we do is built around technology, it's what allows us to do what we do.
2: And the thinking behind your app is pretty special, how did that happen?
1: Uh, as far as the, the... The technology behind it. Well, so, so my background's technology, and so when we looked at solving the problem, what's for dinner, that, that's really the question we wanted to answer. Um, technology was a natural solution remember most ago was using technology to facilitate the ordering process and so so we built waiter from the ground up with technology at the center and so um, we knew that the best way to get to consumers was through the smartphone they walk around with this smartphone uh, in their pocket all day every day And so if we could put restaurant menus in their pocket, then we would be doing a service to the restaurant partners because they would have easy access to all their favorite food in one location. And so technology was the only way to make that happen.
2: Is that the real key to your success, the fact that you made the restaurants more money?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think there's two really key components to our success. One is the convenience for consumers, uh, but the most important is that we make restaurants money. And and that's, you know, we're a partner to the restaurant. Uh, We couldn't exist without the restaurants. uh, So we made sure that from the very beginning, our focus was being a partner and making sure that restaurants saw a return on their investment in waiter uh, and a significant return, just like our shareholders are seeing. And so everything we do is built around the restaurant and our technology
2: all of the interviews after this big recent acquisition you kept saying it hasn't hit me yet has it hit you now we're look, three months later
1: no not yet uh... you know we still haven't closed the acquisition we had to get our audits completed so that's just about done so we're getting close to closing the acquisition um, but even then i don't know that it really will hit me because i feel like there's so much work to be done and so you know, as the, the CEO of the company, it's my job to make sure that our team always looks forward and not behind because what we've done and the successes we had are in the past. Uh, but if we slip up now, then we'll never make it to the future. And so we're very heavily focused on the future. Uh, so I don't know when it'll hit me or if it'll ever hit me, um, but, you know, I look forward to continuing the journey.
2: So, I'm presuming your life's changed a little as you've become kind of better known for this. What I'm sure there are people that come up to you and want to talk to you all the time. And my question is: Do they ask you to? Do they want to tell you an idea and they want you to invest in it? Do they want a job? Do they want advice? What is it that people say to you now?
1: All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it's really interesting. I I think I guess the um, what's been most surprising is kind of the unintended um, effects of of our success to this point and and not just with people who are interested in being entrepreneurs but with the people who we've touched the lives that we've touched with what we do um, homebound people who can now do for themselves or family members of homebound people who can now purchase food and have it delivered to their homebound family um, the hearing impaired, who are some of our best drivers, because it's a job that they can do where their uh, their disability doesn't get in the way. Um, you know, uh, I've got calls from um, visually impaired people who say that through the accessibility features in the app and online, they can order and do for themselves. Um, it's just been an amazing journey. Uh, the people who call me with ideas. Which, by the way, there are many great ideas in Acadiana. I get calls about them all day long. The problem is helping these folks learn how to execute and turn those ideas into action. And so, you know, that's why I've gotten involved. That's why I, I'm, I'm, you know, I do the, the round tables that I do with entrepreneurs. That's why I go to speaking events, to speak to entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, I wish I had had more access to those things when I was trying to figure all of this out or even in previous entrepreneurial endeavors. And so I think it's important that I give back, and I think it's important that our company give back and our our employees get involved in the community, and they are. So they don't you know, have to wait fun. to
2: catch you going into an elevator and trap you into talking about their thing. There's plenty of opportunities to actually come and see you and ask questions That's in the right, right environment. Uh,
1: my email and my phone number are pretty easy to find on the internet nowadays, uh, so... Uh, people find it very easily and they, they get in contact with me and I'm happy to meet with them when I can. You know, I've started to do these uh, quarterly see, uh, entrepreneurship roundtables because it's gotten really difficult you know, with my regular job to meet with every entrepreneur yes, individually. Everybody,
2: everybody with a good idea. Yeah,
1: so uh, so I'm going to do these once a quarter at the Light Center uh, with the help of the op- Opportunity Machine. and. Uh, you know, I encourage people to reach out to them certainly to to find um, find out when these events are going to be, so that they can come in and and listen to our story, and hopefully we inspire them and uh, in their story. I, I was in um, Chipotle yesterday, just about to get lunch, and someone walks up to me and says, "Hey, aren't you Chris Mo?" And I I said yes, and he was like, "Hey, I heard your." Your talk at the at, uh, Light, uh, at the entrepreneurship event uh, not long ago, and I just want you to know you inspired me to start my own company. And I'm like, that's great. You know, if I can help people do that, it's wonderful.
2: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Chris Moe from Waiter. So imagine someone that I have on the show in two years' time, and they say to me, I listened to that show that Chris Moe won, and this one piece of advice he gave me changed my world. What is that piece of advice?
1: Oh, wow, that's pressure. Uh, That one piece of advice that changed their world, huh? Uh, Well, here's what I'll say. If you are going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to have a ton of ups and downs. Uh, It's like being on a roller coaster. And I had a friend of mine, a college buddy of mine, uh... early in my career tell me one day he said Chris you know one day you're gonna have more money than me he said but you know the only difference is you're gonna take the roller coaster to get there and I'm on a freight train (laughs) right and so and he's a company guy and he's worked for the same company for almost twenty years now he knows where he's going he's gonna get there and and so what I'll tell entrepreneurs is that that is entrepreneurship it's a roller coaster and so people are gonna tell you you can't do it people are gonna tell you it's the greatest thing they've ever heard and listen to what they say, but don't really, I mean, hear what they say, but you don't have to, you know, l- listen specifically that you're going to do everything they say. Just take the information that they provide you, figure out how you weave it into your knowledge bank, and then execute your idea. Because what entrepreneur boils, well, entrepreneurship boils down to is not the idea it's the execution of that idea. And because so, you're
2: in a world where there are competitors. There's Uber Eats, there's lots that's right. of different local things because people tend to think they have to have a totally original idea to make it work. How do you compete with the competitors? How do you stand out?
1: Well, innovation is is taking things that already exist and combining them together to create something a new iteration. Better, right? Yes. A new iteration of it and so so, so I get this all the time. People would tell me, oh, well, Uber's going to crush you or well, Amazon's going to crush you or you're never going to be able to be successful. But I knew something they didn't know. I knew this industry. This was my domain expertise. I had spent time in the restaurant industry. I would spent time in technology. And if, if, if I'm an expert in my domain, then it really doesn't matter what they say. It's what I know that matters. Now, I listen to them and I used it as motivation. And I took what they said, and I made sure that it motivated me to get to where I wanted to go. But, but that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur. You you have to listen, you have to take all the information, and you have to put it in your information bank and use it to execute your vision. And if you execute your vision, then it doesn't matter if there are competitors. If you're doing it differently, if you're if you're doing it better, uh, you can still win, and you can you can exist side by side. You know, there's not only one major. Re- You know, big retailer in the world. There's not only one successful technology company. There's There's not not only only one one
2: restaurant. There's (laughs) not only one
1: restaurant. There's not only one car company, right? I mean, it's uh, yes, it's a huge market sector that we're in, and so there, it's not a zero-sum game. There's not going to be just one winner, and that goes for almost every single industry. Chris,
2: this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. You finally got to the end of a long day at work and you're getting ready to go home when the phone rings and it's your brother-in-law. Usually he only calls if he thinks you might be getting ready to fire up the grill and he happens to be just around the corner. But this time it's different. Your brother-in-law's got a business proposition. It's a great idea and it's sure it's going to make a whole bunch of money for you and him. It's an idea for an app. It's a mix of Waiter and Tinder. It's called Waiter Data. It works like this. You pick somebody off of a Tinder type list and you send them dinner for two on waiter and then you go and have dinner with them. It's genius, right? What do you say to your brother-in-law? Are you in for developing waiter data with him?
1: I say start that company. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea.
2: Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> 23 years, five different startups? Uh,
1: 23 years, five uh, five startups one mildly successful and one now more successful but uh, many failures in between.
2: Did it work because the others failed? Did you learn from them or did it work despite the others failing?
1: Yeah, no, so uh, no doubt, no question in my mind that had I not failed in those others I couldn't have made Waiter a success. There's a couple of things I think that have made Waiter a success. One is the education that I got in those failures that certainly is key and when I started Waiter I knew I didn't want to make the same mistakes twice uh, and then the other thing is, you know, wisdom comes with age. They always say that. Uh, and I think I'm it's, still absolutely, <laughs> it's absolutely true in my case. Um, at a younger age, I was too stubborn to listen to other people. I thought I knew everything. And so I didn't think other people had, had anything they could teach me. As I've gotten older and, and, you know, gained that wisdom, I realized that there are a lot of people, both younger and older than me, that know a lot more than me. And if I surround myself with those people, and then I listen to them or hear them, right? I don't have to do everything they say to do. But if I just hear them out and, and take the information they're, they're, they're giving me, use that in a way that helps me create a stronger company, then I'll be more successful. And that's what I did with Waiter. And in the beginning, it was a conscious effort. I had to learn to keep my mouth shut take the medicine that I was given because listen, in a lot of cases it was people telling me how I was going to fail and I had to—I couldn't just say no you don't know what you're talking but about there's the information or you're wrong in right? that and there's information in you, that, yes. that's right and it can motivate you and, and that only comes with wisdom, right, it, it comes with time, it comes with those failures and, and having done that and having having the the, the need to do something different you know to, to not do it the same way and so by doing that I've learned a whole bunch more and so those lessons have helped us be a success as well
2: and when I have been to your office a few times and when you walk in everybody's happy is that a deliberate somebody's here we have to look happy or how did you build a, a happy team
1: no, the, the reason everyone's happy when you walk into my office is because I'm traveling an awful lot now. <laughs> so they're happy about that. So they don't have to see me as often. No, no, but really, you know, yes, I wanted to build a culture of people that got out of bed every morning and didn't say, oh, I got to go to work today. I wanted a culture where people could get out of bed and say, I get to go to work. And I hope we've done that to some extent. Not always, we're not great at it yet. We still, you know, we're still, it's still evolving. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of freedoms in our company that you don't have in other companies. And those freedoms turned into productivity.
2: Will your freedom change with the board of directors? They're gonna tell you what they like, what they don't like. Do you perceive that as being different?
1: Uh, so, so I've been thinking about this a lot and I've been talking to other people who have have to answer to public company boards. And uh, we, we're putting together a great board of directors. And, and Are when you I getting great, to choose them? Uh, m- me, along with some of our shareholders and our current board, are, are making these selections. Uh, and our partners with Lancadia. But, uh, but the important thing that I've learned about having a board of directors is you want a board of directors that's accountable to the shareholders first. That's their job. They're, they're fiduciarily responsible for the shareholders' investment. Uh, but you also want a board of directors that you can learn from, and that can be a sounding board, and that can help, help me as a le- the leader of the company continue to guide the vision for the company. And so uh, if, we, if we do our job well, then I'll have a board that I'm working alongside of instead of working for, and, and that's really what I want. I want a board that will work alongside of because me and my a, shareholders. There's a
2: history of founders kind of not being in the companies anymore once a public thing takes over. Um, whether that's just because they're better at building companies and not good at you know running companies, but you're putting in precautions now to stop that.
1: Yeah. So a lot of that, you know, I spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley, and I, I, I've seen a lot of technology Some people just love the excitement go, of building it, the next company. It, that's it. A lot of that's choice, right? A lot of that is the CEO made that choice. Uh, my choice is different. I, I want to run this company for as long as I can possibly run it, and we have a lot of work left to do. We have a we have a, a technology roadmap that's unmatched. I mean, we, there's just a lot of opportunity. So uh, my goal is to, to continue to run the company as long as they'll have me, and uh, and I think that you know that's my choice. I mean, I'd be everybody else. So many I
2: people expect. are acting now like you've made it, but you talk about it like you've just started.
1: We have. I mean our company's only well we'll be five years old this December <laughs> You know so we've come a long way in five years, but we have a long way to go, a long way to go. I mean you know I, I want to create a billion dollar company once it's a, at a billion dollars you know I want to create a billion dollars in revenue then I want to create a two billion dollar company a five billion dollars And you've said you wanted to do. create a
2: billion dollar company from the beginning of this. That's right. It's always been your goal. Right.
1: But the reason for that is is—is it's my job to create value for the shareholders, yes. But if I create a billion-dollar company, that means I'm creating value for our restaurant partners, for our employees, for the consumer, for all stakeholders involved. So it's not to get rich. Like, I don't even think about it in terms of money and, and never really have. Maybe one of the things I learned uh, in previous failures, if you do something for money, you may not ever get there, but if you do something because you're passionate about it and you love it, Then you have the. I would say if you do something for money,
2: there's never going to be enough of it. It's It's not a good driving factor. So you were on the show a couple of years ago, and one of the things you guys talked about was you said, "If I can figure out how to deliver alcohol, then I can make a lot of money." (laughs) Have you figured that out
1: yet? (laughs) I was on that show with uh, Trey Lido from Bayou Rum. So yeah, we were we were uh, doing a little brainstorming during the show there, but uh... so yeah we we have uh... we're in the process of rolling out alcohol delivery um, so we
2: can have cocktails delivered
1: so not in louisiana just yet but uh... we tried to work with the louisiana legislature this year to get alcohol delivery laws passed uh... we weren't successful uh... we're going to continue we've created uh, or the the governor has created a task force uh... to study this this concept we're working with the governor and his team we're working with the legislature uh... to to try to Make uh, or create laws in Louisiana that are that are sensible for alcohol delivery. And you, I, the way I think about it is, if we're delivering alcohol, then people are, aren't out on the road going after it. So uh, it makes a lot of sense for us to to be able to deliver alcohol. Uh, we hope to be able to do it from our restaurant partners, not just from grocery chains and others, but we want to do it for all. Uh, so yes, we're gonna we're gonna continue to study that. We're gonna continue to push to try to get it uh, to get it approved. And once and you've got that, we'll, we'll
2: have you back on the show to ask that question again.
1: Hopefully next year, when, when you have me back, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be able to. Apparently, say it's we're done. having Chris
2: every year now, so <laughs> That's right. I'm good with that. Okay. Sometimes the destination is the journey, and that can be an adventure. But sometimes the destination is the destination, and it's nice to have arrived. Chris, it's not like your struggles are over or you're anywhere near retirement, but it's nice to take a moment and savor in your hard ones success. All of us in Acadiana are proud of you. We're eagerly following what happens to Waiter and we all know that you're poised at the brink of something potentially really big. On behalf of everybody, we wish you continued success and happiness. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: My guest on Out to Lunch today has been Chris Moe, founder and CEO of Waiter. You can find out more about Chris and Waiter by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what Chris and I look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook pages. These photos were taken by Thomas Peters. You can find more photos by Thomas on his Instagram feed, at Curating Life. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Café Vermilionville in Lafayette. Café Vermilionville is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Out to Lunch Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escudet. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Schuart and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Collie Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport, in downtown restaurants.